Hello and a warm welcome. I'm Armin Trost, professor at the Furtwangen University in Germany. And this is my series on human resources strategies, a real master course for advanced HR students, professionals and executives. This series is available on YouTube and on all podcatchers like iTunes or Spotify. All slides that support this series are available on my website. For more information, please read the description to this YouTube or podcast. I'd also like to refer to my book, Human Resources Strategies, available at most online bookstores. So, again, thanks for listening Have fun and gain valuable insights into the fascinating world of HR strategies. So, in the previous episodes, I mentioned already a couple of times that the context really matters. The context within an organization. And what might work in one company might not work in another company. And if this is true, then this is pretty much due to the different nature of different organization, uh, even in the same industry. And now comes the question. If you, as an HR executive, if you were supposed to describe your organization, Let's say you have 20 minutes. What would you say? The question really is, how would you describe the nature of your organization? So, and you were supposed not to just talk around in an unstructured way, talking about randomly chosen criteria, things that spontaneously come to your mind, but, but to give a structured and relevant overview about the nature of your organization. To which dimensions would you refer to? Which attributes would you describe? And what are, what are the dimensions of these different attributes all about? Yeah? So th this, is, this is important. So in this episode, as well as in the next episode, I will guide you through a couple of criteria that are going to help you. And all those listeners who, who work in an organization are really invited to reflect on their own environment. Uh, that's going to help. Well, all those criteria I'm going to share with you are of practical nature, I would say. So in the last years of my work, my research, I was always thinking about, okay, which kind of attributes, which kind of characteristics of organization are really relevant for practical implications? I mean, really, for practical implications. And not so much for scientific purpose, I must say. Really. It's more about what is relevant for practice for practical implications. So, in this particular episode, um, I will talk about how a company looks at its employees. Yeah. How do we think about the employees? So, 
to be more concrete, we're going to talk about individuality, like diversity, how much our employees appreciate it. We're going to talk about the shared concept of man, how much is a company dependent on the employees or vice versa. Yeah. And uh, we will talk about the nature of the tasks. Is it about optimization or is it more about disruption? Yeah. Is it... Um, that you have a high level of task certainty, always knowing what the outcomes are and the ways to get there. Uh, we're going to talk about how you think and act. Do you do it on a short cycle, on a long cycle? So this is pretty much about the task. And in the following episode, the next one, we're going to talk about leadership and we're going to talk about the nature of the organization. Okay. So this is what we're going to do, and I, I split it, uh, this chapter about the context into two episodes because I consider this one as, as really essential, very, very essential. And maybe I, I repeat myself, but before you, before you think about any kind of approaches or solutions as part of your human resource management, You must consider the context. I mean, really, that's, that's something so fundamental. And, and if things you, you intend to do, do not, are not compatible with a structural and cultural context, things simply will not work. They will not work. Full stop. And it would be a waste of time and effort. So, so, so better be careful and think about the context first. Okay, so let me start with the very first simple attribute. Um, when you look back in HR, right, we very often followed on a definition, a, tradi a traditional definition of human resource management, which says, which says human resource management is about right people at the right time at the right place. Okay? This is a very traditional view. Right time, right place, right people. But what does that mean, right people? What is that? So we always had uh, uh, an idea saying, okay, we firstly, before we fill a position, we have to be absolutely clear about the requirements. People must fit into, must fit, must, must match to predefined profiles. And sometimes you can see in companies that there is a kind of common profile. There are common expectations. And I, I will put things uh, extreme now. I will do it a couple of times, knowing that things are, are very often somewhere in between. But a very extreme view is that you want in your organization that the people are all more or less the same. Same thinking, same attitudes, same whatever. So, and this is the very often cited box. Yeah? People must fit into a box. And the box is there. Right? It's predefined. First comes the box. And, and when you think in terms of boxes, saying our employees must fit to specific criteria, 
conformity is very essential in your organization. So you can sometimes tell it when you visit a company. And I, I do it very often. So I, I visit an office, let's say. I visit a company and I have the feeling that the people all look the same. They have same style. They have same competencies. They are more or less the same. While in another company, on the other side of the road, You visit that one and you have the feeling that, wow, that's very colored. The people are very different, right? Very different. So this is a matter of culture, I would say, right? Also, in terms of HR, um, when you have very detailed competence models, very detailed competence profiles, whenever it comes to filling a position or a role, you think of conformity. Do you want that the people are of very special kind, okay? And, and that pretty much relates to conformity. Some think in terms of conformity, some companies think in terms of diversity. And diversity, to put it short, is really not about statistical variation of, of characteristics, really not. I mean, that, that might be an output, But diversity in its core is about valuing individuality. This is diversity. So diversity is always about the individuals. Really, It's not about groups. It's not about how you combine different groups. This is, this is not the point. It's very often misunderstood, by the way. Um, diversity is about valuing individuality. It's the clear understanding, the mindset, and the message that The way you are, you are okay. It does really not matter how old are you. It really does not matter. Um, your gender does not matter. It really does not uh, 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 matter what is your what, what's your race. It does not matter what is whatever. In in some companies, it really does not matter what you have studied. And and I know some very very successful companies saying the only thing the only thing that we really need for our employees is that they are smart enough and they are hungry and that they are team players that's it that's it and the rest they will learn so wherever you come from uh, however you are it's okay it's good we value you as an individual You know, this is this is this is uh, diversity. So I mean, I could do a entire series, uh, entire episode about diversity, but but I won't. Yeah. So think about this. Yeah. How is your company? Uh, in traditional HR, I must say, we tend to focus on conformity, and and. Uh, As I said, I, I illustrate this very often like, like a box, but, but people do not look like boxes. They look more very individual, very individually shaped. Yeah? And yeah, from an HR perspective, the difference between this individual shape and the static rectangle box is what we very often name as develop, de developmental needs, which need to be fixed. Yeah? That very often was an aim in HR, especially in training and development, to shape people in a way so that they fit to boxes. And when we do so, we very much look at the weaknesses and we do not look at the strength. 
The strength is there, but the weaknesses are seen as a problem, and we name these developmental needs. And the question really is, do you think that way? Do you want to think that way? Do you want to focus on the weaknesses in your organization, or do you want to focus on the strength and the individual shape of employees? So this is a, a first starting point here, the first criteria. So here is the next criteria. When we look at organization, traditional organization, we very often find the classic pyramid, right? I mean, the pyramid is a, a very, very commonly used picture of, of illustrating a hierarchy. You have many people on the bottom and you have a very few on the top and you have one sun king at the very top, right? The sun king. And, you know, very often, especially in traditional organizations, what you find is that the higher you are in the hierarchy, the closer you move to the sun king, to the CEO, the more appreciation you experience. And, and you can tell it based on, 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 on many symbolic things. Like, the higher you are in the hierarchy, the closer you are to the sun king, the bigger and the nicer is your office. Right. So, and if you are on the top of the pyramid, you might not have lunch in the regular canteen where all the regular employees go for lunch. No, the executives, they have their own lounge where they meet, a special place, get better food, drink wine, <laughs> and so on. So the higher you are, the thicker is the carpet you walk on. And the more expensive are the paintings on the wall. And the closer is your parking lot to the entrance. You see? So, these are cultural artifacts, as we would say, which reflect a thinking that the higher you are, the more important you are. And for some of you, that might sound natural. Yeah, this is how things are supposed to be, right? I mean, it always were this kind. The king lives in the castle, right? So, I mean, this, this is life. Yeah. yeah. And that's why we all want to go to the top to have thicker carpets. Yes. And a bigger office. Yes, of course. I, I, I understand this. But, you know... There are also other companies that think exactly in the opposite direction. And, and here we, we refer to the so-called inverted pyramid. What does that mean? Inverted pyramid is an is a, is a isosceles triangle. Here is it again, the isosceles triangle, which stands on, on, on the top, so to speak. It, it's turned upside down. It points to the bottom. And... And the idea is that um, it's the employees who, who are the real heroes in the organization. The employees. Because there is this shared mindset among everybody, also among the executive, that the so-called regular employees are those who do the work. They are on the front. They are... They are close to the customer. They are the ones who add value. They are the real heroes. 
and they are of highest importance. So the highest level of appreciation is experienced by the people and not by the CEO. And you can tell this, really, also, again, based on, on, on cultural artifacts. Um, for instance, you know, I, I recently was, was, was invited by a company and we had a meeting and a CEO was also there. And, and we, we had a meeting and we all sat around the table and were talking. And, and uh, in the beginning, I had to ask, who is the CEO here? <laughs> It's the one with the T-shirt, Uh, Stefan, he's, he's the, the one with the T-shirt. You, you, you could not tell that, that he is the CEO. He does not even have his own office. He shares uh, working space with others like all the others. Yeah. No bigger car, no uh, reserve parking lot uh, in front to the accents. No, first come, first serve. You know, this is a completely different culture. And of course, the managers, they eat in the same canteen as all regular employees. Um, so this is, this is a cultural thing. This is really a cultural thing. Right? And that matters. And that matters. When we, we're going to talk about this uh, uh, when it comes to, to, to uh, uh, different, different uh, uh, things in, uh, as part of uh, human resource management. So let's move to the to a third a third criteria. And here I would like to refer to a, a theory which I truly love. And this theory that uh refers to the concept of man. Man. Yeah, that does not sound so diverse, but okay. Concept of man. This is, the concept of man is the idea about the nature of human beings. So if I would ask you, describe human beings to an alien. <laughs> you meet an alien and the alien asks you, Hey, are you human? And you say, yes, I'm a human. Oh, are there more of your kind here? Yes, there are billions. Oh, really? Can you describe how humans are? The alien is asking you, <laughs> what is the nature of human being? Yeah. And so the nature of employees, how would you describe the nature of human beings? And, and, and this refers to the concept of man. It's a kind of uh, very often implicit theory about how people are by nature. And when we think about concept of man, we always must, must think about Douglas MacGregor. Um, Douglas McGregor is my superhero. Douglas McGregor is a uh, is a great management thinker. He was a real pioneer. Uh, in my eyes, he wrote the best book about human resource management of all times. No, the second best. <laughs> Guess what is the first? No, who <laughs> he wrote. He wrote the best book in human resource management, I would say. And the name of the book is The Human Side of Enterprise. The Human Side of Enterprise, published in 1960. 1960. Wow, this is 60 years ago. And it's a book about modern human resource management. What a thrill. And in this book, Douglas McGregor proposed two extreme ways of how you might think about human beings. 
And, and the question now is, which theory does apply to your company? In which theories, in which theory does your company, the people in your organization, the CEO, the executives, the supervisor, the employees really believe? So, here is the first theory, and, and, and Douglas McGregor named the theory Theory X. Theory X. I don't know why. The other one is uh, Theory Y. Uh, uh, I forgot why he named it that way, but it does not matter. So, here's Theory X, and I, and I, I quote from his book. It's a summary of the theory. So, I quote, People have an inherent dislike for work and will avoid it whenever possible. People must coerce. Right again. People must be coerced, controlled, directed, or threatened with punishment in order to get them to achieve the organizational objectives. Okay. People prefer to be directed, do not want responsibility, and have little or no ambition. People seek security above all else. That's it. That's theory X. Uh, in sum, it describes people as being lazy, not motivated. <laughs> and, and here people are described as beings that need to be taken by the hand. Otherwise, they make dump things. <laughs> This is Theory X. And of course, some of you might think, yeah, 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 I know some people of that kind. Well, probably it's not you, of course. No, you are not. But you know some of these people. Yeah. You think so, right? So this is Theory X. And now comes Theory Y. I quote, The expenditure of physical and mental effort in work is as natural as play or rest. Man will exercise self-direction and self-control in the service of objectives to which he is committed. The average human being learns not only to accept but to seek responsibility. The capacity to exercise a relatively high degree of imagination, ingenuity, and creativity in, in the solution of organizational problems is widely, not narrowly, distributed in the population. Wow. That sounds different, right? The, this is the idea of, of man. <laughs> the idea of man saying that man is... Yeah, that sounds weird. Man. Yeah, <laughs> That was the way of talking at that time, right? Nothing like he or she or something. No, man. Okay, sorry for this. I just quote. <laughs> But this is a picture of man who is very responsible, self-actualizing, always with a need to grow. Yeah. Uh, sounds very mature, right? Yeah, that's the opposite. Which one is true? Which one is true? That's essential. And, and, and to put it, really, again, to put it black and white, 
there might be X companies and there might be Y companies, really. And that's a huge difference. And that affects a lot, really. That, that affects leadership behavior. That affects a lot of human resources approaches and practic practices and solutions. So that, 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 that's fundamental. In your, to put it short, in your company, do you trust the people or do you not? Really? And, and I mean, this is, this is like with all the other criteria. You might say, yes, partly, partly. I know some area where uh, you trust in people, but uh, in the other department, let's say, uh, people are not trusted so much. So it's, it's a different. Yeah, there might be a variety within the organization, but what we are talking about here is the overall culture. This is part of the overall beliefs. You know, this is this is when, when when we think about cultural theory, about uh, corporate culture, and when we in particular think about the wonderful theory uh, of Edgar Schein, who brought up this three-layer model about uh, organizational culture, he always said that there is a one fundamental level of uh, organizational culture, which are the I don't know how he put it specifically, but it's it's about the implicit the implicit assumptions about the truth. Yeah? The so-called theories in use. The theories, the understanding that drive our behavior. The way we look at the world that drives our behavior. And he really says, as part of any organizational culture, there is a set of implicit assumptions things the people believe in and the question really is and and i i would say this is something with which you can describe entire cultures is it that in your organization you believe in people or you don't okay so an hr that goes along with theory x is a completely different hr than an hr that goes along with theory y Uh, you, you will see this. Okay, so these three criteria, which I just have described, they, they relate to the nature of the employees, how you see the people, right? Do you value individuality? This is one thing. Are people appreciated, not only the executives? And do you trust in people? Okay, so this is the starting point. Really, and, and, and when I work with organization, and I have the feeling that, oh, there's conformity, the executives are the superhero, and this is an X culture, I already, that triggers in my mind already a different type of human resource strategy than when I see the opposite. Okay? But I have to. Be careful now, not sharing too much insights. All these things will follow, okay? So, let's talk about the task, okay? And, you know, when it comes to the task, the things the people work on, there is a first distinction, which is 
extremely crucial. And and this distinction is was very well described by a, a one of the pioneering leading uh, business professor management professors uh, of Harvard Business School who who unfortunately died recently, Clayton Christensen. Uh, some of you might know him or have heard of him. He wrote this excellent book, uh, The Innovator's Dilemma. The Innovator's Dilemma was one of the most influential books in management, um, really. And he brought up a term that became very significant, very important, and the term is disruption, disruption. So, before talking about disruption, let's explain what the opposite might be. Um, and the opposite might be static development. So, in your company, do you focus on static development? What does that mean? Static development means that you produce refrigerators, okay? You produce cars. You produce books. You deliver services, like a hotel. You sell insurance policies, yeah? And you do this year after year after year after year since decades. And your idea might be just to get better every year. It's, it's about this continuous improvement, always getting better, better in terms of quality, better in terms of efficiency, better in terms of price or whatever. But it's a, it's a constant growth, right? I mean, look at cars. Look at cars. Cars, now let's th not think of the classic cars, which are beautiful. <laughs> I mean, compared to the, to the cars today, the boring design of today, classic cars were really beautiful. But, but from a technological point of view, I mean, engines became better every year. The, the technology really got better. And the driving experience got better. The efficiency got better. Um, year after year after year. And this is what we would name a static development. Is your company about static development? Or is your company, or at least some areas in your company, about disruptive development? Disruptive development means that you work on something that is poor in the beginning. So, I mean, there are thousands of, of examples out there. I mean, think about uh, electronic vehicles. I mean, the first electronic vehicles, they were really bad. I mean, they looked bad. They had no reach. They were extremely expensive. Uh, everybody said, well, okay, uh, Better not rely on uh, uh, electronic uh, engines. I mean, that's 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 stupid. Yeah, uh, look at look at the beginning of digital photography. I mean, that was really bad, really. And it was so expensive, and the quality of the picture was was bad, 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 bad. And everybody said, "Well, you know, this will never come." So, uh, compared to the to the existing established technologies these new technologies were were 
so 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 unfortunate so 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 disadvantages so, so of disadvantage so but things changed and not in a kind of a static development but in a in an exponential development and and in the beginning the development is very often slower than expected but then it's getting faster than expected. And the idea here is with disruptive development is once a technology becomes stronger, better, for a better price, then it kills a traditional technology. And then the traditional technology is gone, you know, gone, over, goodbye. So disruptive developments are about killing existing technologies must not be technologies only could also be a business model uh, or whatever so the question really is is your company mainly about continuous improvement or is your company about being hungry enough to kill existing technologies with a new one even though that you know it's gonna take time You know, this is a difference, and and you know this this does not refer to to human resource management in the first place. I know, but as you're gonna see later, an HR strategy that is surrounded by a business environment that is about disruptive development will look different than an HR strategy that is surrounded by a business environment that is about static development. Whatever you look at, variable pay, performance appraisal, talent development, how are you going to look at it? Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. It's really fascinating. So let's move further. We still talk about the task. And here is one very essential differentiation. And this is about what I name task certainty. And task certainty is about two dimensions. Right? Certainty of outcome and certainty of process. So what is this all about? Certainty of outcome means that when you are doing a task, do you know the outcome? Do you know what you will have in the end? Right? Do you see it? You want to build a house? Okay. From the beginning of what you're doing, Do you already see the result? Do you see it? Or an employee is working on a, on a certain kind of procedure. Does the employee know how the result must look like or not? And it's not only about the result, the outcome. It's also about the way to get there. We name this the process. How is it about the certainty of process or process certainty? So, When we look at repetitive tasks, we always have a high certainty of outcome and we have a high certainty of process. You do the same things over and over and over again. Yeah? If you know one step of your work, then you know all the others. Right? So 
here is a uh, here is uh, an additional an additional um, dimension. Some tasks are small, meaning that that you can do this task many times in a day. For for some for some jobs, you, you do the same things two thousand times in a day. <laughs> Let's think of an assembly line, maybe sometimes, yeah. Uh, but sometimes you do a task over the course of many months or even years, one single task, right? So this is what I name the scope. And I mean, you you now can differentiate. You now can differentiate between. Two extreme types of tasks. One type of task is of small scope. Yeah? A, a tiny task. A task that you can do within a few minutes. And the outcome is clear. And the process is clear. And everything is clear. It's clearly described. My, my favorite example really is uh, housekeeping in a hotel. Right, and it's really not that a, a housekeeping employee is entering a room in the hotel, asking him or herself, "Oh, a room! What a mess! <laughs> What should I do now?" Hmm. Let's think first. No. No, you don't need to think. Look, here's the standard, and now you prepare the bathroom, right? And now you don't think. Hmm. How am I supposed to prepare the clean up the bathroom? No. Here's the procedure. Here is how you do it. Here is, here is how you prepare a bed. Not like you think, but how things are described in a standard procedure. And that applies for everybody. Right? So, this is the first type of task. High outcome certainty, high process certainty, and a small scope highly repetitive and the opposite is a task which has a big scope it's a project and once you begin with this task with this project you do not know the outcome not at all you might have priorities you might have a vision you might have an idea but you don't know the exact outcome yeah you, you don't know you say okay We're going to develop the software. If I ask you in the beginning of the project, hmm, how does that exactly look like? Every software developer would say, well, I don't know. What? How can't you know how the outcome look like? How do you decide? Well, yes, we have to approach this outcome stepwise. Ask me in a few months when I can tell you more. But even then, I don't know the exact details about the outcome. Or ask a scientist, in the beginning of a big research project, hey, scientist, what will be the statistical outcome? <laughs> you, say, you know, this is why we are doing this, because we don't know. We don't know. So, <laughs> yes, there's going to be a report, not an article. And I can tell you how this article is going to be structured, like, like every article is structured. Um, but I don't know the outcome. That's why we are doing all this. Do I know the way to get there? Yes, partly. On a high level, I know it. I know that we're going to probably do some experiments, but don't ask me how this experiment is going to look like. We first have to think about the theory and its assumption and whatever. So, okay. Low certainty of outcome, 
low certainty of process, big scope. And again, HR with people who are doing repetitive tasks with high certainty of outcomes and processes, that HR will probably look like in a completely different way than the HR which is necessary in a context where the people do not know the outcomes and the processes of their work. I mean, we're going to talk about, for instance, about performance appraisal, objective setting, something like this. It's difficult when you don't know the outcome. And not even the manager does, the, does know the outcome. So how is, for instance, performance review possible if you do not know the outcome? Huh? How, can you, how can you prepare a job description when you do not know the outcome? Okay, and I would really say that this is one overall tendency in the working world that we move away from repetitive tasks to more uncertain tasks. That's an overall tendency, I suppose, right? So we better take this one serious, okay? Well, there is a last thing I would like to share with you with regards to the task. Um, you know, in traditional settings, we used to think long-term, And this is pretty much due to this idea that the world is stable, that the world is predictable, that we have a continuous but kind of static development and improvement. We try to anticipate the future. We plan yeah, on, on long term. Yeah, and we think in long cycle. We sit together one time in a year and think about how things might be in 12 months from now, right? So, for instance, we do this uh, in the performance appraisal. This is a very commonly used tool as part of HR that you find globally in many organizations where the supervisor and the employee sit together and think about, okay, employee, what are your objectives for the next 12 months? 12 months. Wow. 12 months. That's long. Why not thinking about what you need to achieve in the next two weeks? Right. So you think and you act. This is the cycle. You think and you act. And first you think and then you act. And in some companies, you have this long cycle. And this is the way how people think. But in some other companies, you have short cycle. You think and act, you think and act, and do it all the time. Short cycle, very adaptive, very adaptive. And now you can assume this, is, this goes pretty much along with the nature of task that I have explained um, just some, some minutes ago. If you have a very uncertain task, you better think in short cycle. I mean, the uncertain task, this is like, this is like a, a journey into a country where you don't have any map. It's like an expedition into the jungle. You don't have a long-term plan. You, you don't know where you're going to end up in 12 months or in a journey, let's say, after four weeks or so. You don't know. So you better think about where to go on a daily, sometimes hourly basis, right? 
So we will talk about this also when it comes to leadership, when it comes to especially performance appraisal. And we're going to learn that things might be more adaptive, more short cycle, more iterative. Okay? So these were some characteristics about organization. So we were talking about how a company looks at its employees. And in the second half, we're talking about the tasks. Is it about optimization, continuous improvement, or disruption in your organization? How is task certainty? And how is it with thinking and acting? Okay. So in the next episode, we're going to talk about leadership. What is the way you think about leadership in your organization? And then we think about the organization of your organization. I'm meaning about the way you collaborate, the way how you communicate inside the organization. That's going to be really exciting. So look forward to this one. So see you in the next episode.